ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'd like to up front to thank Misha Zarens for providing the music for the Walk Show. Uh, you can find a link in the show notes to Misha's music website, where you can there go and listen to all of his different songs that he's got uploaded, uh, which is quite a variety. Um, so thanks again, Misha, for that. I also want to mention Ozark's Food Harvest, which is a local food bank here in southwest Missouri. I should note that we don't actually have any official relationship. Uh, I just really like their cause. Um, basically, they provide food, help provide food to, to needy families in the area. They serve a wide variety of counties and different organizations and, and help out um, with food insecurity. If you don't live in southwest Missouri, then I really urge you to find the, the local food bank in your area and see how you can help out there, whether that be to volunteer or donate or, or whatever that may be. Uh, but food insecurity is a real problem, and especially when it impacts kids, I think it's pretty tragic. Um, although it's tragic, you know, obviously any time. But it's something that we can help out with. Uh, we just have to take some action. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. On Pick Up Your Sticks, we talk about why gaming matters. Um, we just really have long-form, thoughtful kind of conversations, just like we do on The Walk Show here, except it's all about gaming. So, you know, beyond news and reviews, we talk about that stuff, but we also talk about experiences that we had from our childhood and those sorts of things. So it, it's good for, you know, triggering some nostalgia maybe or, or, or maybe introducing you to a new variety of games that, that you hadn't previously been aware of. So, again, Pick Up Your Sticks is available anywhere podcasts are found. About today's episode, I am really, really excited uh, for this episode. It's one that I've wanted to do really since I started the podcast. Um, I My guest today is a guy named Matt Ziegler, who is someone that I've known for more than 20 years at this point and um, has just always been a really good friend of mine. Um, Matt's also a person of, of pretty high character and someone who I think, um, you know, yeah, is just a, a good person and has a good outlook on life. And I, I thought he would be an interesting guest to, to come and share. Um, obviously, I have a, a sister who was on a previous episode of The Walk Show where we talked about my dad. Um, but but that's the only sibling that I have. And, and Matt has always been kind of like an older brother to me. So... I was really, really excited to have him on. I hope to have his dad on at some point. I'm pretty have a, a close relationship with him as well. Um, but yeah, so Matt and I talk about a wide variety of things, from you know his experiences drilling oil overseas and being in the military, um, to just kind of talking about some of the, the stuff that that you've heard on the Walk Show before. Our ideas about I don't know discipline and willpower, and I don't know just how all that stuff kind of plays into to how a person lives their life. Either way, uh, without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to the Walk Show, Matt Ziegler. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Walker. We tried to put this together a couple times, and we finally have, so this is cool. Yeah, man, for yeah. sure. No, it's super cool. Um, so I, there's so much to, to talk about, really, but um, I've known you for 20 years now, I'd say. Maybe actually a little over 20 years, which is 
crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. It makes you feel old. It makes right. me feel old. Yeah, well, you are old. Shut the hell I'm... up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of start from the beginning um, for, for the listeners that, that don't know you. Um, so I went to a, uh, a, a Lutheran junior high school or middle school where your dad was actually the principal and, yep. and one of the teachers. Yep. Um, and that's actually how I eventually met you because you were, were coming back and visiting and like came to the school a little bit and hung out just with your dad. Yeah. As an, cause you're eight years older, I think than I am. Uh, how old are you? I'm 36. I'm 42. Okay. So, yeah. so only six years older then. Mm. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, so I remember like, and, and so I was probably like 14 when we very first started like met one another and you were uh, yeah probably 20 21 somewhere in there um and i remember the first the very first interactions we had was like playing basketball and stuff like that together yeah because when we first met like we've always gotten along really well but because of the age difference and the the period of time we were at in our lives when i was 14 i couldn't hang out with you as a 20 year old when i was coming in and out of the country too so i would be gone for long periods of time and come back yeah well and i just mean like i couldn't really hang out with you and your peers because i was too much of a kid yeah still yeah um so i remember telling you that you were too much of a kid to go hang out at a party one time yeah that was a little that was when i was a little older i was like probably (laughs) i was probably 16 yeah um you're like i'm tall enough i can fake it everybody will think i'm 18 well because 19 20 i was like no everybody's gonna know you're 16 (laughs) well because everyone back then people used to constantly ask me how old i was and when i would tell them they would always be blown away by that like oh no way i thought you were much older so i thought that that would work um because i was six five yeah at 16 you were taller than everybody right but i but you still said stupid shit 16 year old stuff right yes (laughs) and and we you did let me go to a party when i was 16 or 17 somewhere in there and one of the other people there eventually wanted to beat me up, and you yeah. prevented that, which was good. Yeah. Um, well, and so that's what's that's you know, I, I don't it, <laughs> for those of you again that don't know, you know Matt's a marine and a very you know macho kind of guy. So I don't mean to get mushy with you, but like you know I don't have I don't have brothers, right? I mean I have a sister, but she's twelve years older than me. We didn't grow up together, yeah. so I'm effectively an only child, and. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I've always just kind of thought of you as like an older brother to me. Like that's kind of, whenever I was young like that, like, you know, yeah, once I got into high school, you let me go to that that one party, but that was the only time that I did that because well, it didn't yeah, go well. Yeah, <laughs> can't have fights at your own party. No, no. Um, at other people's party, you can have all the fights you want, <laughs> not at your own party. Well, and yeah, and so I remember like we would play basketball together and then... Um, you like, you, you started living in the same town and, and then we would go and you, you taught me how to lift weights. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember you busting your knuckle pretty bad at like five in the morning. Yeah. 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 I dropped the dumbbell. Uh, I, I let it down and just kind of dropped it and there was another dumbbell under it and it just smashed my hand between both of them. I remember you sucking it up and continue to lift too though. That was kind of impressive. Uh, that's funny that that's the case because I remember then going to basketball practice later that day and I didn't try and sit out or anything but my coach was super pissed at me that I had hurt myself lifting weights because he was like, why are you lifting weights outside of the (laughs) basketball program? And I was like, I'm surprised that you're upset that I'm trying to better myself. (laughs) But anyway, so 
So yeah, so you you kind of touched on it a second ago. You know, when whenever I first met you, you were going in and out of the country, and this is one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show is that I think you just have some really interesting stories. What were you doing? Why were you going in and out of the country? Uh well, for the at one point I was working for an oil well company, and we did subterranean seismic survey, and I had a job title as a vibrator mechanic. <laughs> yeah, and it, they were. <laughs> They were huge, huge machines that shook the earth and recorded uh, recorded seismic anomalies or whatever. I don't know. The geologists figured that out. All I did was work on the electronics on the giant vibrator. I want to compare this to fracking, but I don't understand what that is that much <laughs> no, no, either. No, but it's... <laughs> did you mean to say fracking, or did you mean to say the other one? No, no, I meant to say, say fucking. Frac- no, no, fracking yeah. is where you they, yeah, no, they mix up the earth, yeah. right? Yeah. Fracking is where you you fracking's where you basically force water down Mother Earth to push up the oil. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And it fucks up the water tables and stuff as well. Well, it pollutes water tables. I guess it caused a whole bunch of earthquakes in... Arkansas uh, basically destroyed Oklahoma for a little bit, but it's Oklahoma. Though. Yeah, nobody cares about Oklahoma. It's almost <laughs> as bad as Kansas. It's almost as bad as Texas. No, Texas ain't too bad. Ooh. You can go hunting with night vision in Texas. You can also drive for twelve hours starting in Texas and still be in motherfucking Texas. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> That's like Kansas, though. You drive for 12 hours, and you're still in Kansas, then you shoot yourself. So Well, then you're in Colorado yeah, shortly thereafter, shortly and then thereafter, it's great. Yeah. yeah, Colorado is amazing. <laughs> so how did you... I mean, I, you're the only person I've ever known that's had a gig like that. How did you end up working as a vibrator mechanic or whatever <laughs> <laughs> over uh, overseas? And where were you overseas? Uh, well, I was in Kuwait for a little while, but then I worked in the Sahara Desert, Algeria, uh, actually, I was working in Algeria right before their civil war worked out, or broke out, worked out, yeah. know, whatever. So, uh, doing that, and uh, they canceled our they canceled our contract. Oh, okay. And at one point, they had body bags with everybody's name on it. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And then for a little while, the the current government hired bodyguards to go to all the oil well rigs and oil exploration companies. And it didn't happen at ours, but later on, one of the one of the bodyguards basically killed everybody at the oil well because he was a rebel in disguise, and that's when the company wow canceled it and flew us flew everybody back. Wow, and that, is that when you stopped working for that company? Yeah, that's when I stopped because they it was like you know hey, you know your next job your next gig is going to be in India, but it's not going to start for a year. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do for a year? Are you going to pay me? And they're like, no. Right. No, we're not going to pay you. And I'm like, well, I blew all my money. I mean, I, I think it's pretty... And how old were you? 20? 21? Uh, I turned 21 in Kuwait, a country where it was illegal to drink. <laughs> but I worked with a bunch of British people, and they uh, basically brought a bunch of juniper berries and made their own gin, which tasted like turpentine, but hey. Got the job done. Yeah, I did. You wake up in the middle of the desert, and you're like, how did I get here, and why do I hurt? Right. So, the other thing I remember from that time was the schedule that you had was pretty interesting. Was it something like, like you would work so many weeks or so many months and then you had a big block of time off, something like that? Yeah, I'd work for six weeks on, six to seven weeks in in country or on site, and then I'd have three weeks off. Mm. And so that you would get a plane ticket, 
they would they would pay basically pay for you to fly back to your town of origin for three weeks. And so I'd have basically you get all your weekends at once. Mm. Is really what it turned into is you work for seven weeks, no weekend every day, no days off. Sometimes you're you're working from sun up to sundown, and in the Sahara Desert, sometimes it, during the summer it's like sun up sundowns like 15 hours. Mm. It's ridiculous. And well, so didn't that afford you also? I mean, I, you know, I know you came back here to visit your family and stuff, which is how we said, you know, like I, I that's how I met you. But didn't you also go to like Europe quite a bit and like go to a lot of destinations well, there? Yeah, the they would you could either take the airplane ticket or you could take the cash out. So if you wanted to, they would give you like a, an airplane ticket from Kuwait to Springfield, Missouri is like $12,000. Right. <laughs> Turns out a plane ticket from Springfield to anywhere in the continental United <laughs> States is $12,000. Yeah. But go on. <laughs> so you, you could opt out and you could say, hey, just give me the $12,000. And a plane ticket from Kuwait to Amsterdam is only like $500. Mm. A plane ticket from Kuwait to London is basically the same. Pretty much anywhere from the Middle East to Europe, there's a lot of it's like it's like Florida. New York to Florida is like ten bucks because people fly there all the time. Right. The Middle Easterners fly to Europe a lot for holiday, and well, I guess a lot of people in Europe fly to places in the Middle East for holidays. Mm. Like the Ivory Coast, I think is pretty popular. I mean, the Gulf Coast is the the Gulf is beautiful. Mm. The coast there, there's a lot of you know religious history there that people go to, but. One of the funniest things I had, one of the funniest experiences I saw, I guess, not really had, was that you, you in Kuwait, I mean, the, it's a it's a Muslim country, so it's very traditional, can't drink, mm. but the dress for women is very traditional too. So, you're in a you're in this international airport in Kuwait City, and you see all these women in their burqas, or I, I think that's I think that's right, yeah, yeah, or even the black dress that covers their face, right. So they all load onto this plane, and you, you don't know if they're 50 or if they're 60 or if they're 14 or whatever. Right, right. Then half the plane is full of burqas, the other half of the plane is full of Kuwaiti or Saudi men, and then the back part of the plane is where, you know, us working stiffs had to sit. <laughs> so then you, you land in London, and you see that same row of burqas go into the bathroom, and then you see, like, Kardashian wannabes come, come out. Oh, right. So underneath the burqas, they have all their westernized clothes and everything, and they, they're they all very attractive, hmm. you know, olive-skinned. Sure. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of weird and fun to watch. Huh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, because you grew, I mean, I guess you grew up kind of all over the country, but where did you, because your dad is a... Yeah, my dad's not only a retired principal now. Yeah. He's also a retired colonel from the Air Force. Okay. So, I mean, I, I was born in North Dakota. Uh, but spent time in North Dakota, Colorado, Nebraska, Alabama at one point, which I forgot, thank God. Right. So I'm not, I'm not sure what happened in Alabama, and <laughs> whatever happens in Alabama should just stay in, in Alabama. Right, right.
you grew up in a pre-internet era, largely, right? <laughs> well, no, and I, I just mean that, and that, like, now, like, I think for someone now to travel abroad, not that it's not significant still, but you can see what the rest of the world looks like. You can go on Google Maps and tour any city in the world yeah. now. And no, it's not like being there. But it's, it, you can at least have a sense of what to expect. But back then, when you're going in the mid-90s, there's not a lot of other avenues to know what to expect when you go to... Well, it was the, the Stone Sahara. Ages, man. I mean, like, you could you bought books. Okay. Like, uh, I remember going to Colorado, and you you, you watch TV. You, you know, you kind of watch the... You get up the TV guide so you can find the channel and find the time. Oh, I have to be home at one thirty so I can watch the special on the Rockies about the Bighorn Sheep. And then we, I think we bought a book about Colorado and you see all the. No, no, no. Camps. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't mean how weird was it moving from state to state. <laughs> I mean when you're a 19, 20 year old kid and you're going to Kuwait or you're going oh. to the Sahara Desert, the likelihood that you had a lot of access to information about that is pretty low. The, I guess the biggest surprise actually when I was in the Marine Corps. Okay. In the Marine Corps, we went to Korea. I went to Korea in the Marine Corps, not for anything cool, just to stand on a wall. So that's what you did after you stopped doing the oil drilling yeah. company thing. You then became I, a Marine. I enlisted in the Marines after that. Yep. Yeah. So, but um, that, so, you know, I was in Missouri. I was li- My parents were living in Missouri, and I'd come back to Missouri. And you got the Ozark Mountains, so it's greeny and hilly and tree and then you, you know you get in the marine corps and you fly and you go to all these places and we landed in korea and we landed outside of seoul well landing into the seoul airport you fly over the 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 ozark mountains of korea mm. and it was li- it literally the nature the landscape looked exactly like missouri mm. and then you see the the architecture was completely different and that was a big shock so you're, you're landing into what you looks like home, right? And then you get close enough to see the houses, and you those are not Missouri houses, right? Yeah, but and they're not like crazy Japanese houses. The Koreans have a much more subdued, I guess, oh, okay. architectural scheme. But it's very Asian. It's very Korean. Hmm. You know. Yeah, I've never traveled abroad, but I did go. Um to upstate New York at one point. And, it's the same thing. And yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that's what I realized there, like being up in upstate New York, it looked pretty much like being here, except the houses are all colonial style architecture, yeah. right? So they don't look like houses here do really. They're all the flat fronts and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and there was way less churches in upstate <laughs> New York than there is here. But otherwise, it was kind of like being home. So Japan was different. Yeah. Landing in Japan was different, because I'm I'm not very I'm not nearly as tall as you obviously, but sure. I'm pretty wide. My shoulders are pretty wide, and that was one of the harder things to get used to for the brief period I was in Japan, because you know you take a shower and your shoulders are touching both sides. You lay on a bed and your shoulders are wider than the bed, and you're like the, the, you're like you, like you think like the whole time you see things on TV and about Japanese is like, Oh, it's a stereotype. It's funny. It's for TV. And then you get there and you're like, they really are that small. And now you know what it's like for me to live in America (laughs) because (laughs) all you squatty motherfuckers are running around designing everything for people under six feet tall. Short fat people, right? (laughs) Tall fat people need love too. Um, no, but really, like, it's funny because people will tell me, like, oh, I wish I was as tall as you or whatever. And, uh, you know, certainly being 6'5 has its advantages. It, it's probably a large reason why I've never been assaulted at a bar or anything like that, right? <laughs> um, 
But, I, like, honestly, it probably would be better if I was, like, 6'2". Like, that's probably a, a good... Three inches, really? It, Three I, inches make a difference. It does, because... The, because you, you go stand in front of a, a counter, like when I used to work in the kitchens, uh, and the counter's just ever uh, so slightly short enough that I have to bend slightly to, to work on it. I remember when you worked at Taco Bell. <laughs> it was like, it was like watching an ogre hand me a taco. You're the like, deepest shame. Oh, look, you can see the guy's belly. Where's his face? The deepest shame was me working at Taco Bell. Because uh, was, I, was, I was 22... I had just moved home with my mom, right? So yeah. I, I was failing at life. <laughs> and I wasn't in college, right? Yeah. So I'm failing at life. I move back in with my mom. I go get a job at Taco Bell. And since I'm 22, well, that puts me at four years after high school graduation, right. which means that everyone else who's in my class that went to college is now a senior in, in college, college, right? Yeah. And the Taco Bell I worked on was on the MSU campus. Oh, man. I, right. I forgot about that. So constantly, <laughs> constantly I would see people who were coming to get drive through when they were drunk at 3 a.m. on a Friday, and they know me, and they're like, Walker? And it's like, oh, man, this sucks. Yeah. I had to I take that. You coming, I remember you saying, like, my back is killing me. I was like, what do you do? He's like, I work at Taco Bell. It's like, there's nothing at Taco Bell that can hurt your back. And you're like, try being 6'5", working the drive-thru. Yeah, dude. I was like, oh, that's a lot of bending over. It is. It is. And like, or like cars, like the, the I, so I drive a Hyundai Sonata now, which is not like some fancy car, but I was shocked it had, the, it's a Korean car, right? I, yeah, actually, well, I think it is. But Korean people are big. I mean, okay. Like a tree. He's... <laughs> he's half Filipino. He's not Korean. Whatever. <laughs> Korean. I swear he's in that Mongolian rock video. I swear I saw him in that. So, but yeah, like I, whenever I was test driving cars to, to when I was going to get a new car, I, I, I sat. Now it wasn't a new one; it was an older one. But I sat in a BMW Seven Series, which is like their biggest car, and the Sonata had miles more leg room really? than the 7 Series. I know, I couldn't believe it either. But it's because to be tall in Europe is to still be short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in Germany. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so you know, something else that we touched on was, was kind of like, you know, the, the, you'd showed me how to lift weights. And it's funny because anyone that knows me knows I'm not some athlete or anything and haven't been athletic in a very, very long time. I don't know if I ever technically was, but, um, but anytime I've gone to lift weights, I took very seriously, um, what you taught me. And, and even though I don't have any right to be a gym snob, I very much am. Like when I see people doing exercises incorrectly, it bothers me. I mean, I don't go say something to them cause I'm not that guy, but I, yeah, I want to, I want to be like, Hey, like, Take some weight off. You're you're not doing the exercise right, yeah. you know. You're doing uh, a back workout instead of a bicep workout. There. Yeah, Psychopath, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so how did you how did you get into weightlifting? Like what's what's the the history there? How did you know the stuff that you taught me? Well, I mean, the last two years of my last two years for high school, my dad had retired, and we ended up in a small town in Nebraska. Mm. And so you know you get to football, and when you're in a small town and you're the new kid. You don't really get you don't really get into clicks. Mm. So, but I had a teacher named Mr. Wendell, and he was a big he was the weightlifting coach, and he but he was also like the assistant football coach. But 
you know, he, he was the kind of teacher that was nice to kids. And, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was big, you know, Predator, Terminator, all those things. And, you know, when you're, you're short and new at a school, it, I've always been big, but, it, you know, you put on muscle, you get interested in girls. And, you know, a big part of confidence was being stronger than everybody. And then being the new kid, people always wanted to pick on you. So I was always stronger than the people that picked on me. So right. That, and then it kind of became a, a obsession slash passion. And uh, I, I'm, it's just, and then you start reading, you get Arnold Schwarzenegger's books, and you get Dorian Yates' books, and you get Lee Priest's books, and then you just copy all these bodybuilders in the 90s, and you read and learn and you pick up techniques. And then you realize that the only reason those guys are that big is because of all the after products that they do mm. and then you start finding out well you know if i really want to get big and, and naturally and not screw yourself up then you start reading about technique and form and how to optimize your muscle growth and you get creatine and protein powders and, and then you just it just becomes it becomes a hobby and like most hobbies become a passion and then yeah it becomes an obsession and then you get older and have kids and you can't do it anymore and then all of a sudden you decide to get back into it is which what I'm trying to do now and you remember things and there's people out there that show new things and all that information now on YouTube and the, I mean there's personal trainer personal trainers there's fitness influencers which I think is incredibly stupid that you get paid for having a, a tweet a twitter site or whatever and you're a fitness influencer well they get paid because they have a hundred thousand followers and advertisers i know. want to pay it's them. still stupid like you're not really it's just i get upset because they let they just rehash old things you know nothing's new they're coming out with bicep exercises that you know i was doing when i was 18 that i i read in a book you know, from Arnold Schwarzenegger, they're just rehashing all these things. Every once in a while you get somebody like Joe Rogan who comes out and he brings a new level to not bodybuilding, but just fitness, you know, and then, and then the testosterone supplements come in and that kind of takes older people, older guys who are lifting weights to back to a new level. And that's interesting and new. So there's a couple different directions I want to go there. Um, I guess I'll go the more philosophical one first, and that is that I, that's interesting that you that you bring that up because it's something that I have have um, really come to experience recently, which is the idea of like there is nothing new, like everything is recycled and yeah. all this stuff. And 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 so I've really been on this path of of personal development for probably the last I don't know, eight months now or something. I don't know exactly how long, but. Or I'm doing a daily routine to try and 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 just feel better about myself and just be happier generally. I'm not trying to be an athlete or trying to compete in something necessarily, but just and and so everything I'm doing isn't fitness related. I mean, I exercise, but I'm also meditating and reading and journaling and wow. you know these other activities. And so, as part of that, I've also read um, uh, some different books that are in line with that, like discipline equals freedom, which is by a, a Navy SEAL yeah. or, uh, the power of habit. Um, and, and what's so interesting or how to win friends and influence people, which yeah. wasn't, wasn't, I didn't read that really for the same reason. Um, but, but what's interesting is that like, it is true that everything is just cliches and yeah. it is true. And, and, 
and I well, think it's not necessarily cliches. I mean, the reason it's rehashed and re-edited and repurposed and re-edited and repurposed is because the original one worked. That's why. Yes, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Is that's what I've come to. Is that like a lot of the stuff that's cliche is cliche because it's just true, mm-hmm. and there's not there's not another way around it. But I actually do think that there's value in finding new voices and new ways to position old truths because it 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 has the chance to resonate with someone in a way that it hadn't before, right? Yeah, I guess I can see that. I don't know. I mean, well, and I, I'm curious as to what your thought on it is because I I I don't know. Like that's that's kind of the conclusion that I've come to. Um, but yeah, but it is interesting, and it's interesting to hear you talk about it in the weightlifting space and about techniques and, and, and exercises, because again, like when I'm thinking of it, you know, it's it it's more um, like behavioral ideas, right? Yeah. Not not just weightlifting techniques, but I but it's true, it's true everywhere, right? Yeah. Well, like the the human anatomy, the human body hasn't changed right since the seventies, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and when I was really getting into lifting weights in the early 90s, a lot of the stuff I was reading was from guys who were bodybuilders in the 70s. Right. And then there was people that were taking bodybuilding to a whole new level. Like Dorian Yates, I mean, he he is so much more bigger and so much more vascular than Arnold Schwarzenegger was, but it's not because he did anything new. It's because medicine and drugs developed mm. new and took people in. But even philosophies... I mean, a lot of the philosophies that we have nowadays find their roots in, is it Voltaire? Voltaire, yeah. Socrates, yep. you know, Nietzsche, he's kind of one of the guys that I like to read and make fun of at the same time. Yeah. You know, but then there's Western philosophies or Eastern philosophies that people are bringing over to the United States like they're new. But, you know, th- those came over when... Th- Asians and Chinese were laying railroads. They brought all that philosophy over right. back when the West was one, and we were laying railroads across a country that never had railroads laid across. So they're they're not new, but right. that is a good point. I never really thought it like that because Zig Ziglar, I guess he kind of brought a lot of things to light in his generation, and people kind of refer to that. And right. The only reason I know about Zig Ziglar is because spent half my life people asking me if I was related to him. <laughs> but, right, right. But, like, you know, I watched The Irishman on Netflix. Yeah. That was a really long but really good movie, and at the end of the movie it makes a kind of point that, you know, this young nurse who's treating this old hitman didn't know anything about Jimmy Hoffa. But, you know, and this movie's kind of bringing back that history, but, you know, unions and Teamsters are kind of dying, but the the social justice and, you know, Facebook groups and all the, and the hashtag Me Too, not that they're to diminish anything that those guys are doing or those people are doing, but they're really kind of modeling, and I don't even know if they're doing it on purpose, the same kind of unity that Jimmy Hoffa tried to bring to the working man. Right. You know, it's it's the same time, it's this one charismatic personality that starts up, starts a movement, and then the movement is then carried by the people. But none of that's new. Hashtag this and that isn't new. It's just that sure. instead of Jimmy Hoffa going around on the news and traveling across the country yelling at people, now you can hashtag and join your movement that way. But it's still the same 
psychological, in, in my opinion. And I'm yeah. not, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not studied that. Oh no, I do. I, I I think you're right, though. I mean, I think yeah. There's the thing is, is that like it's not fair to say that there's one best way to do everything because I think there's a variety of approaches that can work. But in the end, there are going to be certain truths that that exist, and and you can you can put different things around them maybe and dress it up differently but in the end there are certain fundamentals that will be there and that that's kind of inescapable which then leads to things seeming like a cliche or whatever yeah. but it's like but it's <laughs> it's just true you yeah. know i mean yeah. it's funny because something i've that i've talked about a lot um you know a long time ago when my dad passed away the lesson the biggest lesson that i kind of learned from that was this idea of perception dictates reality and, and, and what I mean by that is, is a more simple way to say that, that I only became aware of in the last four months is thoughts control feelings. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I learned that when my dad passed away because I had to, to take control and change what I was thinking about in order to, to then change the range of feelings that I could have about it. Right. And, and, and then I read this book a few months ago called Feeling Good that's written... It's a, one of the first cognitive behavioral therapy books um, written to, to treat depression and anxiety. And that's his whole entire point in the book is that thoughts control feelings. And so if you take control and take action to, to manage what the thoughts are, you can control what your feelings are. Now, again, just for the listeners, just to say... I'm not saying that I'm a psychologist. I'm not saying that I understand how to cure all depression and anxiety or that it's all some simple thing. But that's really what the root of the entire cognitive behavioral thing is. is a bunch of different techniques to help you understand how to control your thoughts, which then changes the range of emotions that you can have. So, you, it, a, you know, when a person feels a thing, you can't directly control an emotion. But you can control the thoughts that lead to different emotions... So almost through the proxy of thoughts, you can control your emotions, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty logical. I mm -hmm. like to think I'm pretty logical, fact-based, and I, I like to leave my emotions at home. Not because I'm a man, but because I'm Matt Ziegler. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. Thank but you. you. But you, but I mean, but the thing is, is that like, you know, I, I, so that's the camp that I was in for a long time was this camp of like, oh, well... Feelings are irrelevant, and logic is the only thing that matters, but it, it's impossible to escape emotion as a human. Yeah. something that I've thought about for a long time is is this idea of is there willpower and you personally are the example of of why I don't believe that there is really 
Yeah. I would have never thought, because I, I think I have some good willpower. It, I, I, you and just I, told me I have no willpower. I didn't oh, say kick that. your ass! <laughs> you won't. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> but the reason that I say that isn't, isn't because you live an undisciplined life. It's actually to the contrary. It's because, in fact, you have a very disciplined life, but it's because it's what you want. It's not... It's not a force of will. It's like, one time you told me something that I, I, I would like you to elaborate on a little bit, if you, if you don't mind, which was that you said that that most soldiers, most people that enroll enlist in the military, maybe most isn't fair to say either. I, I'm, I'm, pro- I'm paraphrasing. There's a significant amount. Yes, there is a portion, a segment of people that join the military that don't join the military to be soldiers. They join the military because they want to be whatever other thing they think they can become out of that. An engineer or yeah. a, or what a doctor or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. and not that those opportunities don't exist. But I said to you, I said, I've never heard you complain about being in the military, whereas other people do. I've known other people that have signed up and gone, and then it's not what they thought it was going to be. I knew one guy that signed up to the Navy because he thought he was going to get into technology and communications equipment, and he ended up being a construction worker. And he was very dissatisfied with that. And I remember talking to you about that, and that's what you said, was that people that, a lot again, not most, but there are people that join the military that don't want to be a soldier. And if you're going to join the military, it should be because you want to be a soldier, because that's what you are first. And that's, that probably is, that, that is probably what it was a long time ago in all the branches. That idea, and I'm a Marine, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm yeah, an expert, no. so I'm going to, I'm going to always say the Marines are the best. You know? Sure. But, you know, if you take a look at that, if you take a look at the Air Force, my, my dad and my brother and some of my good friends are in the Air Force, and I, I'd give them a lot of flack about not being soldiers. Or, you know, my brother went to the Air Force Academy, and, you know, I'd make comments every once in a while, like, hey, how's the chicken coop? Because you fly boys, big house, mm. you know, a bunch of, bunch of chickens flying around. Okay. Which, so, but you, so a lot of people will join the Navy. The Navy is a city. An aircraft carrier is a floating city with doctors, with uh, machinists, with a commander, with an executive, with a cook, with uh, a, mar- a person that runs the market. There's there's a whole bunch of people that just run an infirmary from nurses to doctors. There's there's people that do laundry. There's people that there's firemen on an aircraft carrier. So everything that's in a city is also an aircraft carrier, mm. and in that aircraft carrier. A very small amount, if any, are war fighters. And the war fighters that are on the aircraft carrier are pilots. And they're mm. kind of a prestige. But the number of pilots on an aircraft carrier is super small compared to the people that fix the planes. The people that run the radar. The people that do technology. The people that do welding. The people that do construction. I mean, you have nuclear mechanics. And you have diesel mechanics. All on an aircraft carrier. So mm. when you, when you join the Navy, I mean, there's tests and there's there's all kinds of things that they do to put you in what you they think you will succeed at, or also what they need. Mm. You know, if you want if you join the Navy and you want to be an electrician, but they need construction workers, well, you're shit out of luck. You're a construction <laughs> worker, right? Yeah, and the Army is really much the same way. They have a much bigger war fighting force but still the people that support the war fighters are w- way outnumber 
the special forces. They way outnumber the grunts. They way out. I mean, there's a, a saying in the Marine Corps, and I think it goes across to all of uh, the military, is pokes, people other than grunts. Mm. So a lot of people do join the military to get experience in a technical field. I mean, it, and you can go into the military to learn leadership skills and all that too. But I mean, a lot of people will go in to get a diesel mechanic edu- education, education. Sorry, <laughs> that's the Marine coming out in me. <laughs> and you end up being a diesel mechanic after your four years in the Marine Corps and you get a free education. Right. You know, Navy is famous for doctors. I mean, there's a kind of a saying in the Marine Corps that a, a lifelong Navy doctor is a doctor who wasn't good enough to be a private Navy, private doctor. Oh, okay. Uh, so, but, so the Marine Corps in proportion has the biggest war fighters. Like a Marine Corps saying is everybody's a rifleman first. Mm. And then, then you're then you're something else afterwards. So if you join the if you join the Marines, you have to expect that at some point you're going to be in a war fighting situation, a combat situation, or at least in training for combat. You know, I I, I went to Hawaii and we did all kinds of training in Hawaii through the jungles for jungle training. You know, and you know I I wasn't. I wasn't my MOS, my military operations specialist, wasn't warfighter, but it was it was radio operations. But I spent most of my time learning how to fight war, and then a very small amount of time learning how to do communications across airplanes, ships, personnel, remote locations. So, but then you spend the rest of your time fighting war. Where in the army or the navy or even the air force. The Air Force is more of a business nowadays Mm. with satellites and space. And, you know, my dad was a missile man and he started off, you know, working on nuclear missiles and ended up commanding a base. But he never once, you know, he was through Vietnam. He was in all that time and and never once had had to be forced to go fight war. Right. You know, and a lot of people during that Vietnam era, I think, joined the Navy so they wouldn't be forced to join the Marines or the Army. Mm. So, you know, and then that that idea really came to a front during the, the Middle East conflicts. There were people uh, off of Iraqi freedom and then all the other stuff that followed after that that had been in the military for four, five, six years that had gone in for the GI Bill and had taken jobs where they never thought they would be in any kind of thing. You know, before Iraqi freedom or Kuwaiti freedom or whatever it was called, there was a long-term period of the Cold War where there was no war. Right. You were always preparing, but you were in America preparing. Or you were in Spain preparing. Or you were in Germany preparing. You were in these European countries where you were in a base and you'd go to this field to prepare for war and then you'd come back and you'd have your beer you'd eat your steak you know it, it, it wasn't it wasn't anything else and you know my dad and his buddies might say other things but you know nuclear missiles they just sat in a silo right and, and you know worked on stuff all day long right you know you know they developed weapons during that time but then desert storm happened and iraqi freedom happened and then whatever it's called now continuing freedom happens and people that 
Yeah, yeah. Continuing freedom. Yeah, well, I don't even know what they call it. I hope it. I hope that it's still something freedom. The only thing I wanted Trump to do was pull everybody out, and that's the one thing he hasn't done. Yeah, I don't know if that's the one thing he hasn't done, but okay. Well, I, you know, I, I didn't have high hopes for the guy. Didn't vote for him. I voted for the libertarian pot smoker, which I'm not even a pot smoker. So right, right. That just tells you where that goes. But there, there's a lot of people that were forced into combat situations that never thought they would have to be in combat situations. Right, right. Which if 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 you know a World War II veteran, they would laugh. At the fact that I just called that a combat situation, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, well, and so to kind of to to kind of bring it back to the idea of the willpower thing, I mean, I guess the reason that I think, and again, I'm not trying to, to flatter you or something, and, and so I don't mean it that way, but I will take it that way. Yeah, well, I just I, I just mean like I think that you are an example of someone who, um, and I say this like, of course, you're still a person, right? So of course, you not that you're this like immaculate perfect individual or something but like well i'm gonna have to argue with that (laughs) i am this immaculate perfect person um so that was just done sure it's fine enough right but that you you you've had a ever since i've known you you've seemed to have a good sense of of what you want in life and so because of that you've you've pursued that and you've had a discipline about it i guess that's my point is that i used to think that willpower was this this nebulous thing that I didn't understand how to manifest or control. And now I think that it's actually just discipline, and discipline leads to habits, and that that's actually all... There's there's no magic to it, right? Um, And so the reason I say that is, like, and again, not trying to flatter you, but, like, you you have a you've you've been married for how long now? I've been with Veronica for almost fifteen years. I think we've been married for ten. Yeah, you 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 you're you've been married for a long time. You have a son, um, and and the way I look at you, and again, I'm not trying to, to speak too personally on your your personal life, but you're you're a very committed family man. Like you're yep. a good husband, a Thank good you. father, and you take that seriously. And that's not because of willpower. It's not like you wake up every day and you're like, man, I'd really wish I was living in Vegas banging whores. <laughs> like, the life you have is the life that you wanted. Is, it, 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 again, I'm sure there are other aspirations that you have, so I don't mean to say that you also don't dream or, or want other things, but I just mean, like, the the fact that you are a dedicated husband and father and the fact that you are dedicated to these things is not some magical ability. It's, it's through discipline and, and eventually, I think, habit. But it's because you know what you you knew what you wanted. You yeah. knew you wanted those things, and so you work hard to pursue those things. So my point about you being an example, the the example of why I don't think willpower exists, isn't because you're undisciplined or, or off the you know rails on anything. It's the opposite. It's because instead you are disciplined and you do pursue things that you want and you do get what you things that you want out of life, and it it's because that's who you are. And it's because that's your that that's that's how you think and that's how you've processed things. I think going back to what you said, where thoughts control feelings. Yeah. Because I mean, you're married for fifteen, or you're with a person for fifteen years, and there's there's always that, you know, what if or what could be, but so there there is a bit of a willpower there, but and there is a bit of I guess it's not willpower, but you have you consider other people's emotions. 
Yeah. You consider other people's feelings. Yeah. And you consider what other people want. And the biggest thing I think Veronica and I have, Veronica's my wife, but yeah, is that we we try to help the other person succeed in what they want. Right. Yeah. And that's at, at the end of the day, I guess tr- realizing that you have a want and then trying to work for it and that you have to work for it to get it. Right. Is like what you said. I mean, yeah. What what helps? What gives you? What helps you develop habits for doing that? Yeah. Well, so I read the Discipline Equals Freedom book, and again, it's written by a Navy SEAL, Jocko Wilnick, yeah. who you may be familiar with. Um, and it's it's. <laughs> I'm not familiar with him personally, but I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, if you haven't read the book, it, it's it's a it's a, it's a good read, but it's not written like a normal book. It's written like and I'm not a soldier and never have been and would not have made it in that life but it it's written like a war manual like the whole thing is about like you never know when the enemy's going to attack so you have to be vigilant <laughs> at all times and like it tells stories about world different world wars and and like it tells one story about these guys that were holed up for for months in this winter storm in France in World War 2 these american soldiers and they're they're trapped they're stuck they can't leave but they're also not really under risk for attack because no one can get to them either, yeah, right? Yeah. And so they're there, and there's this, there's this, I don't know if it's a lieutenant or a captain or what he is, but the commanding officer of the area, and every morning he wakes up and he shaves. And eventually one of his subordinates comes up to him, and they're like, Cap, you know, like, you don't have to shave anymore, I don't think you have you know? to shave, man. Like, I don't <laughs> think anyone's coming. And, he, and he's like, it's not about, like, trying to look presentable for someone to impress somebody. It's about this is my routine. Like, this is my, this is how I maintain my sanity, right? This is how I keep grounded is to, to keep in these routines. And so, I mean, you know me and you know, I'm not some war fighter, right? I'm not a Marine, could not have been a Marine. So the, while the book resonated with me a lot, it was also kind of intimidating because I don't look at life that way. I don't look at life as, constantly being under attack and how do I be vigilant, right? But it, it resonated with me, but I was like, fuck, like, am I going to be able to maintain this? Because that it's a lot. It's a lot to live your life like that. Um, but then, right after that, I found The Power of Habit and read through that, and, and that resonated with me too, and it felt like kind of a continuation of Discipline Equals Freedom because it turns out that when you have no habit or no routine discipline is what you need to force that in yeah but if you can get started the power of habit takes over and it's not this vigilance anymore right like it's it becomes habitual like a question i used to always ask myself was how is it that the and it's extreme example but we'll use it how is it that the person who runs in the olympics right yeah how How is it that you can go to them and say hey tomorrow morning we're gonna get up at five and go for a run and they, they don't, there's, there, again, there's no willpower to this. They just do it. They just do it because yeah. that's what they do. Yeah, sure, no problem. But I if you come yet. to me and say, let's go for a run at five in the morning, I lock yeah. you out. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're out. But it, it, and I thought that it was this magical willpower thing, but it's not. And it, it, it ha- if you're going to start it, it has to start with a discipline that, okay, I'm going to get up at five and go. But if you actually can manage the discipline to do it just for a brief window, yeah. it becomes a habit quicker than that. Just like when you and I used to go lift weights at 5 a.m. Yep. Yeah. At first it sucked, 
but pretty soon that's just what we did. We then, just got up at five and went to the gym. Then you're just you're waking up at five whether the alarm goes off or not because that's what you did yesterday. Exactly. Which is funny because you know you know that like going back to things are just rehashed and just presented in new ways. So that 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 Navy Seal he's he's taking things that the Romans learned. Right. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> right. The, the, Ro you. the Romans used to have a saying: "Train bloody, win easy." So, which is also just to interrupt real quick, measure twice, cut once. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is right. right? Like yeah. it's anyway. Go on. So, like Romans, Romans military, the the Tesaurus eye, or whatever you want to say it in Latin. I don't know how to really pronounce it, but so they they would they would actually beat themselves up in training and have more injuries, not so much casualties, but more injuries and stuff in their military training. And then then when they went and fought the Gauls or they went and fought the Spaniards. They they annihilated them and had very few casualties because they were, you know, hey, you broke your arm. Well, you know, I broke my arm yesterday, you know, in training. I broke my arm four weeks ago in training. Well, you know, I've had my foot smashed before, you know, in all my training. And then they, the Romans kind of even took that from the Spartans. Yeah. Where they, you know, at a five-year-old child, hey, let's get ready for war. Right. I'm five, Dad. Right. What about the puppy? I was like, well, kill it and go to war. Right. Know? Right. So, but then, then you have like you were talking about routine. Well, more and more, and I don't know if it's so much anymore, but I remember like in the early part of this millennia, the 2000s, and even in the late 90s, people were like, you know, my routine sucks. I hate my routine. I do the same thing every day, and that's what's depressing me. You know, I wake up every morning, I go to work, I put on my tie, I get my coffee, yep. I put on the dress slacks, I, you know, or, you know, in the 50s, you know, they always, you know, the Rolling Stones, I think it was Rolling Stones, thing about Mother's Little Helper, because every day the mother woke up and made breakfast, and then, you know, did the same routine every day, and for, for a while, and maybe even still, and people were like trying to break the routine get something new and, and that's a whole different other philosophy for happy is don't have a routine do something different every day but that doesn't i don't think anybody's ever equated that to freedom Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there, you're absolutely right that people talk about that. So there's another guy named David Goggins that you, I don't know if you've heard of, but, but he's never, a... Yeah, don't even know idea. Oh, man. Last I, name's funny, but... When we're done with this, I'm showing you David Goggins. Okay. He is incredible. All right. He's also an ex-Special Forces guy. Him and Jocko are very similar in that I, I like both of them because they're motivational speakers, but they're, like, real motivational speakers. Like, it's not, it's not some dressed-up thing. They're very... They're very intense with it, 
but they're not wrong. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they're they're just they're just honest about it. Like, hey, sometimes life sucks. You'll be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't. It's all right. Yeah. So David Goggins came to fame because there was this CEO that hired him to live with him for a month, probably ten years ago. And he wrote a, the CEO eventually wrote a book about it that was like thirty days with a Navy SEAL or something. I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about. The CEO says that the reasoning was that he felt like he was trapped in this routine and he couldn't get out of this rut that he was in. So he invited the SEAL to live with him to kind of, you know, jog him out of that, to yeah. introduce new things. Now the Navy SEAL is way more intense than this dude <laughs> ever imagined, which is why it's so hilarious. But, um, but anyway, so you're absolutely right that people can get trapped in routines, but I think that the reason that that's a problem is because it's routines that they don't feel like they're picking. Yeah. That they don't feel like they're in control of. Somebody's I mean, forcing the routine on I mean, you. yeah, you, you choose to go to work to some extent, but unless you're willing to forfeit whatever yeah. your job affords you, or business or whatever you do, you're going to have to go do that, right? Yeah. So it's it's chosen, but it's it's not, or, I mean, yeah. you know, complicated. I mean, you, just because you go to, I mean, that's where people quit, you know? Right. This job's forcing a routine that I don't like anymore. Right. You know? But I think that you, if let's say you, let's say you want to develop a new trait, a new hobby, a new habit, whatever, you start with discipline. And if you can, again, if you can just be consistent for a little bit, it'll turn into a habit. And assuming it's one that you've picked because you yeah. wanted it, I don't feel like you would be feel that trapped way. Yeah, you know? well, that makes sense. Because you're, you're picking your routine. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, I, and this is not something that I, I don't know if this is valid at all, um, <laughs> but it's a thought that I've had, which is that, I think that there's actually, I think that one of the benefits of picking goals is that I think that the human mind is wired to solve problems. And I think that whenever you set goals for yourself, you're kind of setting problems. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have other problems. And, and I, I, you know, something I talk a lot about on the show is is nuance and balance and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and what I mean by that is that there are certainly problems that people have that have nothing to do with their perception or how they yeah. think or feel. So I don't mean to paint everything with some stupid brush of like, well, it's just what you think about it, because that's not not true. Yeah. But it's also not true that everything that people face is not something that they can fix by thinking differently or perceiving right. differently or acting differently, right? So so anyway, I think that, that because our brains are, are naturally wired to find problems to solve... On, a, on an unconscious level even, that when you set goals, you kind of, you build a framework that you have picked that, that is the problems you're going to solve. And if you don't have any goals, what ends up happening is that your mind is still going to find problems. And instead, they become a lot more chaotic because the problems almost seem to manifest themselves out of nothing because you're not choosing them. So... Yeah. I think that, you know, and again, not that this is the root of all depression and anxiety or anything like that, but negative thoughts about yourself, you know what I mean? Thoughts about that, that you're not good enough and, and negative self-talk stuff, I think, comes from not having goals because your mind wants something to solve. And when you give it nothing, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to try and solve myself then. You yeah. see what I'm saying? It's always hard to solve yourself. It is. and then But go goals are tricky, too, because some people set goals that they can't achieve or they expect to achieve too soon yeah and you know i don't know every you know people say a friend of mine justin feeney he's like everything in moderation i was like well yeah that's that's fucking easy to say 
But, you know, you set goals and, you, like, weight loss goals or financial goals or, you know, I want to get out of credit card debt by the end of the year. Well, if you got $70,000 in credit card debt, good fucking luck. That's but, true. But then if you don't get to the goal, then you create depression. But if you say, I want to, you know, by the end of this month, I want to get caught up on everything. And, and you know, they always talk about people, as self-help people have said it over and over again. Pick a big goal and then set little steps to get there. Yeah. So, you know, being successful at, at solving the problem, it's not so much having a problem to solve, but it's solving a problem. Whether it's yours, whether it's at work, whether it's figuring out how to open up a beer bottle when you're super drunk, you solve a problem and you're like, oh, I solved a problem. I, I'm good at this. I did something. Right. I accomplished something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess... Yeah. Like I said, I don't know. I, I, I don't mean to, to try and sound like I'm some self-help person or something, but it's just, I think that there is, I think oh, that shit. there's also value in, um, maybe you set a goal and you did aim way too high and way too short of a time period, but unless you actually pursue that and find that out, like you won't know. And if you, if you can find it within yourself to not demonize yourself for being wrong right and and it's okay that you failed now you can adjust the goal all right well i want to i want to lose 100 pounds in 20 months or or 10 months or two months or whatever it is yeah. or i want to i want to pay off seventy thousand dollars in debt in a year well maybe you don't achieve that but the fact that you you go for it now enables you to have a different level of insight than you would have had just speculating and now you can tweak that goal and you can adjust that goal and you can still move forward and once again, I'm just speaking. Yeah. I'm not speaking from education. I'm speaking from what I think. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of fortitude to accept failure. A lot of people can't. A lot of people can't accept failure. Now, there's people that I know that have failed, and they they can't accept it, or have little things thrown on them. Yeah. That they can't. And to to be able, I mean, you're talking about a mature person. A self-aware person, somebody who, who's kind of reached that level of enlightenment or whatever that you're, you, you know, you're, you've been talking about, it, c- accepting failure. A lot of people can't accept failure. Man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I mean, I certainly, you know. I, I mean, that's a. Com- I mean, that leads that the you got drug, the drug problems in the United States, suicide. You know, I mean, there's a lot of veterans. Veteran suicide is high, and that's because there's a lot of people that once they get out of the military. They don't have that structure, that military support as like, hey, you failed, but you can't fail. You have to do it again. Right. Hey, you failed again. Hey, you can't fail. You got to do it again. Hey, you fa- I failed. You can't fail, man. Do it again. Right. Hey, I failed. No, you can't fail. Do it again. So, you, you know, sometimes people, like military, the, the military can be bad about this. It's about taking that fortitude and building a system that gives people the support that gives them their self-worth, their self-fortitude. And then when they come out of that and they face failure with no support, mm-hmm. and that that can be hard for people. And it's not just military. It's high school kids. It's no, college kids. It's, it's, it's CEOs whose companies have collapsed. You spend your entire career becoming the, and then you end up this pinnacle of a CEO of a company, and then the company fails, and you have no real failure challenges before and you don't have the fortitude to face a dramatic failure like that 
you, you, I mean, there's, there's, there's stories of people end up on dirt roads yeah. after being on gold miles, you know, because yeah. they, they lost their CEO-ness. Yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely all of those things are possible. Um, but, and you know, <laughs> I am a failure, right? Like I have failed yeah, over but you, you, you've, well, just, well, okay, my point is, is that I have failed many times. And that's, that's this whole journey that I've been on for this last period that I'm talking about where I'm doing this personal development stuff is I'm trying, I've, I've been really trying to learn how to not, to not feel like that all the time. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, I mean, something that I shared as the, the most important lesson of 2019, you know, the last podcast I did of, of the last year is this idea of learning how to have empathy for yourself and learning how to, to, to be nice to yourself. And it's in that feeling good book. He talks about how. When it, like, let's say you fail at something, right? And, and I mean, we could talk about it in the catastrophic sense of you're a CEO and your whole company fails, but maybe it's just that you're trying to do a new, a new diet or you're trying to save money and you just failed today. I, I'm going to save money. I'm not going to go to Starbucks anymore. And then today I went to Starbucks because I like Starbucks, right? And now yeah. that's what's happened. And, and so, and so you failed and, and that like for me, little tiny failures like that would throw me off course entirely because it's like, well, I, you know, I said I was going to do X and then I did Y and that makes me a liar or that makes me not worthy. Right. And all these things. And, and what that feeling good book taught me is that you're the, the, the way the the position that I've used is that kind of bargain shopping for problems, because let's say you do want to save money and the path that you've determined is going to be best for that is to cut Starbucks out. You go to Starbucks well, that's a problem, right? You've spent the $5 that you didn't want to spend there, so that that in of itself yeah. is a problem. But now, when you add on to this that you turn yourself into a monster because like I just said I'm a liar, I'm a failure, I'm all the, you know, I'm 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 not true to myself, all these things. Well, now all of my emotional capacity is being spent on feeling bad and not on actually solving the problem. So right. you've actually got two problems now. You still spent the $5. That's already true. And now you feel like shit because of it. Yeah. And and the feeling bad and the, the self-monsterization does nothing to solve the other problem. And I know that because I've spent my whole life telling myself I'm a monster when I mess up. And I did never change anything. So the shame isn't powerful enough to move you. And so instead it's like, if you can find a way to not demonize yourself and find a way... Instead, to pick yourself up and try again, which <laughs> I don't mean to quote a Leah and Timbaland, but <laughs> there it is. Then, then there's another way forward. And and in that feeling good book, he actually goes so far as to say that it's actually irresponsible to yeah. to beat yourself up like that because you now spend your time and energy dealing with the fact that you feel bad instead of just dealing with the problem. And so it's actually irresponsible in solving the problem because you're not. You're dealing with feeling bad, which you made up <laughs> because you failed. You know what I mean? Well, and I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've kind of, I guess, put my work life around or whatever life around is I do what I need to do when I got to do it. And then if I screw up, I do it again. Yeah. Or do whatever I need to do now. Like if you have a problem and you fail, your next problem is to succeed. Yeah. But I, I'm, you know, divorce is a good one. I and I, my wife has a couple of friends that are divorced. I know a couple of people that are divorced, and some people bounce back. Some people create their new life. Some people, you know, 
you, you never would have known they were divorced, the way their attitude is. They get new jobs. They, they take promotions. They, they move forward. Uh, other people, it's devastating. You know, other people can't, can't get around it, can't get through it. And I, I think maybe that book should, that, that book, what was the name of that book? It's called Feeling Good. Honestly, dude, I, I, anyone that has depression or anxiety, I cannot suggest yeah. the book enough. But honestly, I think that everyone, everyone should read the book. Whether or not you think you're afflicted with depression or anxiety or not, because even if it's not something that's chronic, I think everyone has periods where they have depressive thoughts or anxious thoughts or whatever. And the techniques in the book are powerful, man. I think a lot of a lot of people, and especially in Western society, yeah. where success is so important. Yeah, I think a lot of people in, in our sphere of consciousness mm-hmm. don't have that mentality. Yeah, I I, th- I I come across people that do have that, and I think I have that. I think my wife has that. I think a couple people at, at work I work with have that. I think you and Nick and I think our friends have that, but there's, I just don't think, I don't think that's a common trait in Western society. Yeah, well, I think it's something that, you know, um, that people are, you know, something I talked about before was, I think the, the problem becomes that, okay, so let's say, let's, let's stick with the Starbucks example. Yeah. So I want to save money and, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop going to Starbucks and that's one way I'm going to reduce my expenses. Well, now let's say that my, I do that, but my car breaks down and I have to fix my car, right? Well, that is going to cause me to be delayed in my financial goals, right? Because now I have this unexpected expense with the car. But that's not, that's not my fault directly, right? Like that happened to me. So it's, it's a setback, but I can rationalize that yeah. because it's something that's not me. But when it's that I consciously chose to drive to the Starbucks and order the coffee and give them my card, it's like, well, that wasn't an accident. You know what I mean? Like, that's something I picked. And that's where I struggled was, and and to be clear, still do, you know, still still working through that, still learning constantly. Um, But that's where I would struggle is like, well, (laughs) I'm not a victim. Nothing happened to me. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't an accident. Like, I chose it. I chose to subvert my stated goal so does that make me all these bad things? And and it's it's that failure, at least for me, that I've really had to try and understand is like failure that I directly picked. Yeah. <laughs> not I, failure that I chose failure. Yeah, yeah, not failure that happened to me, but failure that I happened. Yeah. Um and, and, and the thing is is that even when that happens, you've still gotta be able to find a way to to look at yourself in the mirror and love yourself and forgive yourself. Which how which sounds like some hippie you know, whatever shit, but it's it's true because when you only make yourself a monster, then that's it's the Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. right yeah. If you think you're a monster, that's how you're gonna feel. Yeah. And if you think you're not, that's how you're gonna feel. And yeah. um, and again, I don't mean to to brush over circumstances that people find themselves in that that are are not so easily <laughs> resolved, um, but. But I also don't also can't imply that every circumstance people find themselves in aren't so easily resolved. Because yeah. a lot of times it is. Yeah. 
So rewinding, I don't know, thirty minutes now or something. But <laughs> you were we were talking about weightlifting and, and and rehashing things, and then we brought up Schwarzenegger and and those guys from back in the day, and and something that I thought was really interesting that that I I have to admit shocked me. Um, is very recently you saw a documentary on Netflix called Game Changers. Yep, yep. That um, that is you know was talked about very widely on the Joe Rogan podcast. Is how I'm familiar with it. We have another friend Nick that mm-hmm. that also um, watched that same documentary and similar to you was inspired to change. And I mean, you're the biggest carnivore I've ever known. And you are no longer a carnivore. You no longer eat animal products because of this documentary. But it ties directly into the weightlifting stuff, right? Yeah. So I'm vegan most of the time. I've actually kind of... I don't know if I've coined this phrase. Maybe somebody's thought of it before me. I mean, everything's been <laughs> Probably. Of, yeah. But I, I like... <laughs> Based it. on our cliche conversation. <laughs> yeah. This whole conversation is a cliche. Yeah. Right? The, the Romans talked about this yeah. shit already. Go yeah. find their podcast. Tune <laughs> out of this one. Stupid. <laughs> so, but I, I've coined, I've, I call myself a huntitarian. I only eat what I kill, and since I didn't shoot any deer this deer season, I am a vegan. Okay. But so I, I enjoy hunting deer, turkey. I enjoy fishing. So when I catch a fish or I, I, you know, get a good kill and harvest nature's meat. Yeah. I, I'm gonna eat it. Okay. But I'm not gonna buy meat. I'm not gonna go out to a restaurant. And, you know, I, I went to a restaurant recently here in Springfield, and uh, I got cauliflower buffalo wings. Mm. So it was, it was cauliflower fried and seasoned and sauced like a buffalo wing, and it was great. But my tagline kind of that helps me succeed with my goal, the goal, the thing that makes me want to be that goal is I, I started weightlifting again. Uh, some things in my life have kind of opened up. 5 a.m. in the morning where I can go lift weights. And I was doing that for a while, but I my knees would hurt, my elbows would hurt, my shoulders would hurt, and I would have to stop. And I would stop for a week or two weeks before the inflammation would go down. And I watched Game Changers, and it, the thing that struck with me is Arnold Schwarzenegger had been doing a vegan or a mostly vegan diet for maybe the last 15, 10 years is kind mm. of what I picked up from the show. And he's always kind of been one of my heroes. I yeah. don't take marriage advice from him, but I do take weightlifting weightlifting advice from the sure. guy. So, um, so I, I, I decided to try it January first. I did it for about a week, and then I started back at the gym, and my my inflammation in my joints was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't hurt. Uh, I really enjoy lifting weights. I took a lot of flack for it at work because I've been the carnivore for mm-hmm. most of my life. Uh, at one point in my life, a, a friend of mine gave me a Slim Jim beef jerky bouquet for Valentine's Day. <laughs> and that was the best Valentine's Day present I ever got. I have I have a one-word response to that. Ew. Go on. Ooh, it should be delicious. No, Slim Jim is not real jerky. It's so gross. It, it, well, it wasn't just Slim Jim, but okay. it was college. Slim Jim's okay. cheap, but... It, it was a lot of jerky style meat. I think there was a giant summer sausage in there, which <laughs> we can all infer different kind of Indo windows off that. But sure. so fuck your listeners who are doing that right now. Well, you know all of them. <laughs> yeah, so, so the dozens of listeners all know you. So anyway, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, so but so that was kinda of, and my my wife 
didn't really believe I my brother and my brother my my niece and nephew nephews my niece and nephews have bets on when I will fail on this diet. I would like to bring up completely unrelated that you and your groomsmen had bets on whether or not I would pass out from standing <laughs> as a member of the wedding party at your uh, wedding. You know, and unfortunately, you did not. I was really kind of hoping for that. I'm a man, you're, Matt Ziegler. No, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about your cauliflower you're, you're buffalo wings. Go on. You're a Sasquatch. Yeah. In fact, completely unrelated. I remember <laughs> a time when we were playing paintball in Aurora, and you come out of the woods, and my friends who have never met you said, it's like a Sasquatch is playing paintball with us. Yeah. So you are a Sasquatch. Okay. Not All so right. much a man. Okay. But yeah, so that that seems to work for me. Um, I mean, I cheated for Valentine's Day. I took my wife out to a nice restaurant. And we had I had lamb and she had sea bass or whatever. Uh, not Australian, Brazilian, Chilean, Chilean sea bass. Ocean's yeah. End. No, we went oh. to Char. We oh, okay. Went to Char, and they brought me a salad. They brought me a romaine salad, but it was a full leaf. Like, the leaf was bigger than my head. And I'm like, how am I supposed to eat that? Right. Like, cut it. I was like, it's not a steak. It's a leaf. Right. Are you supposed to cut it before you bring it to me? You have some lazy shoe chef back there? <laughs> I'm paying like $100 for this meal. <laughs> cut my fucking salad for me. <laughs> so. Him's whittle. Him's a salad. <laughs> it's a salad. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to use a steak knife. On a stupid fucking I'm salad. I'm afraid of this big old salad. I'm going to kill you with the steak knife. The podcast just went completely off the rail. I'm sorry, listeners. Please continue your story about how you've changed your diet to be healthy and reduce inflammation and lifting weights. So that was that was my goal. Yeah. That was my goal was to lift weights every day. And to lift weights every day, I needed to change my diet. The, the, the NFL supports plant-based I don't want to. I don't want to say vegan. Well, because vegan to, implies all kinds of stupid feelings and political shit. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is I mean, to your credit, um, and, and you know, not even just being dismissive, but just legitimately, yeah, the term vegan or, or whatever does have a lot of political implications and, and whatever. And, and I understand that your position is not uh, is not based on that. It's just based on you trying to feel better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 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 that's fair. Uh, getting back into the gym and my tagline at work and a friend of mine at work actually came up with this but i i really like whiskey and so i gave up meat for whiskey and my woman because mm. yep. i really like my woman right yep right that's awesome so yeah. so yeah so you're back into lifting weights now and i mean was it did the game changers documentary and, and the reason i'm the reason i'm bringing this up is because we get does netflix paying like we should get royalties from the book that we've talked about and now from Netflix. Yeah, no one pays me. Yeah. And I mentioned the Ozarks food harvest usually at the beginning of these shows <laughs> and they don't pay me either. Although it would be weird for them too cuz I'm bringing them up because I want people to donate. Anyway. Yeah. Um No, but the reason I bring it up is isn't isn't just to promote the the Game Changers documentary as much as it's that I would have I would have never I would have never thought in my entire life that I would hear you agree to a vegetarian diet. And yeah. I, I don't mean that. I'm not trying to be flippant. I just really mean that. I would have never, you know, Nick doing it wasn't that shocking. Yeah. Nick, you know, whatever. He could do anything. But Well, Nick used to be a model and work yeah, in New York. Yeah, but you're so. a Marine and yeah. an oil driller and you yeah. like it's metal. called roughnecking. Yeah. <laughs> I do love metal. That's, see, that's what I, and I, and that the means elements the music. and the music. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so that's what I mean is like, I just wouldn't, like all the, the things, the stereotypes, frankly, that I associate with your character, 
Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that you would become a vegetarian or, or plant, go to a plant-based diet, we'll say. Um, and yet you have. And so it, I'm, I'm just, I find that so fascinating because it's a very significant change in your lifestyle. And, and what did you hear in the documentary? I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in it. He talks about it, but... Did they speak to that there would be reduced inflammation? Like yeah, that was the thing. That, okay, that was the thing that led me to do a lot more research. Okay, and uh, I know people on the keto 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 mm-hmm. diet, the the rehash of the Atkins diet, which is the rehash of a diet, which is the rehash. Of I a mean, diet. basically, it turns out that if you want to lose weight, the number one effective way to do it is to cut carbs out of your diet. Yeah. Period. Yeah. That's it. But you can be vegan and cut a large amount of carbs out of your diet. Sure. And you know it's it you know there's there's all these diets but really it's processed foods you know there's the gluten allergy that everybody has nowadays <laughs> that no one has yeah the reason I the reason I say that isn't to to make it trivial it's just to say that like you've got the the Atkins diet like you said which was from the I don't know late nineties or yeah. something is when it was popularized and now the keto diet is super popular and you've got the paleo diet yeah. and the, but all of them the thing that they all have in common. Is that you don't eat bread. Yeah. You don't eat carbs or, or processed foods is another way to say it, but it pretty specifically is carbs. Is yeah. is what's so, getting eliminated. I did a lot of research on it and you can find people you can find people that say, Well, I went vegan, I gained weight. And then you realize their version of vegan is donuts. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> Unrelated again. I know. I actually okay. So years ago, there's a show called The Boondocks that used to be on Cartoon Network. Maybe it still is out. What, is it Boond- Boondock Saints is the movie. Okay. Yeah, bo- yeah, Boondocks is very different than <laughs> Boondock Saints. Uh, I'll show you after and explain why. Um, <laughs> the Boondocks, they feature, and this is from like 04, 05, long time ago. Yeah. They had an episode where they have a hamburger called the Luther Vandross. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Except that it's a hamburger and the buns are donuts, right? And it's like, oh, how hilarious, how ridiculous. KFC legitimately has a chicken sandwich now where the buns bun is donuts. donuts. Yeah. Right. So we've come full circle into that. My wife just texted me, can you bring some bacon and eggs home, please? And I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to eat? <laughs> I guess I'll have pancakes. But anyway, I again, I derailed there, but... Uh. But so yeah, you were you were just saying that that you know you'll find people that say oh I've switched to this plant based diet and it didn't work, but it's because they're leaning into donuts and things that well, aren't. They're, they're, they're eating. They're re- instead of eating meat, they're replacing their cravings with processed wheat. Mm. And and then that that doesn't. I mean that's something everybody agrees that we should cut out. Right. So you know, and I I I guess I guess my only my only exception to the vegan diet, plant based diet, is I do. I do like pizza. My son likes pizza. Me and my son, one of our things is, you know, when, when my wife goes out with her friends, me and my son go out with pizza. Nice. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give that up. So I, I, I eat cheese on pizza, but you know, I don't eat hamburgers. I don't put cheese on anything. I don't try to substitute cheese on anything with pizza. And that's yeah. more of a, a relationship with my son kind of thing. Right. So, but yeah, I, you know, and. I you know I kind of call it my midlife crisis because you know I'm I'm variably in my my life but at, while watching that show I started thinking you know I like steak I love steak sure I love bacon yeah you know I love bacon and eggs I love Polish sausages I love smoked briskets I love grilling but all that all that eating that steak it only satisfies me for 
30 minutes where working out I have all day satisfaction mm. drink my you know my dad and his friends they're, re, they're retired friends they're moonshiners they've kind of come into that moonshining so drinking whiskey and, and rye whiskey with my from dad. Air Force Colonel to Al Capone Al Capone anyway. <laughs> it's not, it's not illegal. it's only illegal well, you know and I don't think my dad would appreciate me saying this, but my dad tells a story. My dad used to live in a dry county when yeah. he was younger, back when dry counties, you know, and prohibition. My dad's not old enough for prohibition, but a lot of people don't realize that after prohibition, dry counties existed for a long time. Dog Christian County was dry for a long time. Yeah, and you can you can go to places in Arkansas, and I think even I think Tennessee has dry counties. Jack Daniels is built or er, built is brewed and made in a dry mm. county. It's illegal to buy alcohol in that county where Jack Daniels is made. So dry counties still exist. And my dad tells a story when he was in college that he would used to drive to a non-dry county, buy a carload of beer, put seatbelts around the beer, and then bootleg it back to the dry county he lived in. <laughs> so, you know, it's not so much, it's, it's something that just kind of... Well, this isn't the first time that I've been involved with something that your dad doesn't appreciate. So, <laughs> it'll be just fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, whiskey and my woman. That, that, that's the tagline. Yeah, well, so it's funny because you just actually demonstrated exactly what I was talking about earlier. Which is that, case in point... Your, your switch to this diet is not based on some magical idea of willpower and some no, yeah. some thing where every day you wake up and slam your head into a wall to talk yourself out of wanting steak. Instead, it's that what you just said is, if I eat steak, I feel great about it for half an hour, an hour, whatever it is. Yeah. But if I work out, I feel great all day. Yeah. And so yet again, it's being aware of what you want and being willing to pursue that thing is what makes it look like willpower. Yeah. And it's actually just... You know, fulfilling a want, discipline and habit. Exactly. Yes, yep. exactly. Yeah. Because all people are motivated by desire. All people. That's that's what that's what how to win friends and influence people teaches is yeah. all people are selfish, and that that's the word selfish has a really negative connotation at least currently, but it it it's not that it's. Literally all people, every action is motivated by self-desire. Even if all of your actions are philanthropy, you do it because you feel good about it. Yeah. And and that doesn't, so it doesn't, to be selfish is not to be evil, right? Well, selfish, I mean, selfish is, the, like you said, selfish is, is a negative word. Selfish implies you're only doing it for yourself. But you are. That's my point is but, that but, that's but, actually but, the truth. But when you, like, other people say the same thing. Other books, other self-help people mm -hmm. say you... They don't use the word selfish. They, they You need to love yourself before you can love somebody else. Yeah. That's a common phrase. It's a cliche phrase, but it is so fucking true. Well, it's, If you hate yourself, if you're upset with yourself, you're always going to be upset. Yeah. You know, we had a friend that moved, and you've made, you made the comment, and we had several friends that moved, So, and you've made the comment a couple times, no matter where you go, you're there still you are. there. Yeah. Yep. So if, you, if you're moving... To get away from a situation, that's one thing. You know, I, I can't I can't live in this house. You know, for emotional, physical, whatever right, reason. Right, you move right. out of the house and you feel better. But I'm unhappy. Why are you unhappy? I'm just unhappy. Well, if you move to Colorado, then you move your unhappiness with you to Colorado. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, like I have a friend who, um, who throughout his life has been in different situations where he's basically just gotten punked by somebody. And, and, and like, <laughs> I'm trying not to out this person, but like, for example, like there was a period where, uh, he was dating this girl who still hung out with her ex-boyfriend. Right? Yeah. Which, that in and of itself is kind of weird. Yeah, but it's not the... Sure, sure. Except that this ex-boyfriend at one point slapped my friend in the face Holy while shit. they were in a public venue. Right? Like, Was like, it at Ernie's? No, no. It was, I don't know where it was. Oh, but okay. it, I mean, it's some bar. It's irrelevant. But the point just being that, like, like this person <laughs> is a very nice person, this friend of mine, but they find themselves getting... Again, I don't know a better word to use than than, than punked. punked by it, yeah. right? Well, they found themselves now. They have this 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 new career, and they found themselves in a situation in their work where this person wasn't slapping them because they're they're at work, yeah. of course. Yeah. But this person was basically treating them in a very poor way, very similar to these other situations, like the the ex boyfriend of the new girlfriend kind of thing, right? And they were talking to me about it, and I just said, I. At one point, I said, "I think, I think there's a lesson that you need to learn here." And I think that, I, and I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something about the way that you're interacting with people, where they think they can get away with this, and so I think you need to find a way to stand up for yourself or to 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 push back on this stuff. And my point with that, and and eventually he actually did resolve the situation and is now in a different different place with his at his job because of that. But my point is just that like is exactly that wherever you go there there you there are, you are yeah. right like it's if you have if you have things that you don't know how to deal with they will continue to present themselves yeah. until you learn how to deal with it yeah um, and not even because I think the universe is like seeking you out to present you with it but just simply that. In the roulette of life, eventually, you're going to land on X. And yeah. if you don't know how to deal with X, it's going to suck really bad. And then you you finally escape it. And then the roulette spins and yeah. you don't see X for a long time. And then, bam, X shows up again. Yeah. And if you don't know how to deal with it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel really powerful all over again. To go with the whole Vegas kind of gambling, every table's got an X. Right. Yeah, no matter where you move, no matter where you go, there's always an X in life. Right, right. But yeah, so I don't know, man. I think that, um, like I said, I, I was just really fascinated by the idea that you had had um, made such a significant change. I mean, diet is something that is <laughs> is very fundamental to life, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. what you eat is how you, how, you, how you live to some extent. And I think, I thought it was really fascinating... Um, that you made such a, a dramatic change and again that it's it's not I'm so glad that you explained it tonight the way you did because it's it's again not an example of some willpower. nebulous idea of willpower yeah. that's not something that people can control and instead it's it's an idea of understanding what it is that you want and pursuing pursuing that thing um, I guess I never really thought of it like that but I you know that's the, that's the way it is right if I wouldn't have developed a, a theme right or some desire weights whiskey and my woman i i would never never right. been able to been vegan right right 
Well, uh, we could probably talk for, you know, uh, 20 years like we have. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll save some for another time. But I, 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 man, I really can't thank you enough for coming on. And, and like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, not to be mushy with you, but you've always just been kind of like a big brother that I otherwise didn't have. And, uh, and you've been someone that's been, um, I mean, I'll, before I end the show, I'll tell another story real quick. I, I remember one time we went and played basketball. I don't even know if you all remember this. We went and played basketball at the local YMCA. I was in high school still. And we showed up to the gym and the game was just starting. And we were like, hey, can we get in? And, and, and it turned out it was four on four. So we could get in because we yeah. would make it five on five, a full a full game, right? So they let us join, but we weren't playing shirts and skins or, or any, there was no easy way to tell who was on what team. Teams had just been determined if they shot for teams, it doesn't matter. Either way, I remember this. I know where you're going. There's, there, there's, there's two different teams established, and so we're like, hey, can we get in? And they're like, sure. These four guys are on, on this team. These four yeah. guys are on this team. So we start playing, and pretty quickly, a guy drives to the basket and goes for a layup. And I, I volleyball spike it. I mean, I just toss it off the court, right? And I, I didn't do, I mean, I didn't shout or, or get in his face or anything. You're but just I just playing, just playing. Yeah, but I spiked it and, and that was it. I mean, it was a play, it was what it was. And this dude was so heated and he gets in my face and he's like, what, you know, what's your problem? Why did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, don't bring weak shit into the lane, I guess, you know, being the idiot that I am. <laughs> And, uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm on your team, you fucking asshole. And I was like, oh, oh, that makes so much more sense why you came to me with this shot, because I'm on your team. Yeah, I was uh, setting a pick for you. And I was just like, hey, man, that's my bad. I, you know, we just got here. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it. I, I wasn't yeah. trying to punk you or whatever. That, that's my fault. And he didn't let it go. And he continued to, to, to get aggro with me and to talk shit and to try and be tough with me. And I, I don't know what all he said, but he was being really aggressive, and you just grabbed him, and you were like, look, man, I'll tell you what, you can hit him one time, and then after that, you gotta hit me. Yeah. And he didn't say anything else. He let yeah. it go real quick. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, and so uh, so anyway, I just that, that's just a, a very small story and, you know, a silly one, but just an example of how... Uh, how I've always thought about you and how you've always been there for me and, and I, uh, I I cherish I cherish you a lot man so thank you very much for, for coming and doing the show with me well thank you I appreciate it and just to you know since we're throwing love around I'll throw some your way you know moving around a lot being in and out of the country a lot you, you've been my friend for 20 years and some friends come and go and you know you've you've not really gone anywhere you've always been here but I think I appreciate that you always been my friend. I yeah, appreciate man. that when I call, you know, you, you you call me back, you text me back. I appreciate that, you know, we could not talk for months and then talk again like we, we were talking yesterday. Yeah, man. Uh, I just, I love you too, man. Yeah, man. Well, let's go get a veggie pizza and call it a night. <laughs> All right. All right, man.
All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you again so much to Matt Ziegler for joining the show today. And thank you again to Misha for providing the music. As always, I invite you to follow me on social media. You can catch me on Twitter at The Walk Show Pod, uh, Facebook and Instagram at The Walk Show. Uh, I also have a website, thewalkshowpodcast.com, which has recently gone undergone significant renovations. So I uh, highly suggest you check that out. In the meantime, hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Stay up. Stay up.